0: Would you like to sit and talk about
1: nothing at all with me?
0: Then you'd see that day's the same to me. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to So I Used to Be in a Band. My name is Jim. I used to be in a band, and I may have never been in a band. Well, probably eventually, but I probably got there faster because of the guy that we're going to talk to today probably the person that inspired me to pick up a guitar and really gave me a lot of encouragement in my songwriting when I was young. And I would say I ha- had a significant part in my full development in chasing and becoming a musician. And that guy is Jim Wentworth. Jim, welcome to my show today. How are you?
1: Oh, hey, thanks for having me here. I'm good. Slightly hung over, but I'm good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, you had a rough night, did you? Uh, I had a good night, actually. Yeah, hey, that's that's what it is. Ah, background on you and I, you know, how we met. I think I was 16 years old. And at first I came around the movie theater in town that you were the manager of because I like to talk to the girls there. Eventually I was around so much you decided I should probably do some work. Might as well. <laughs> yeah. Put that guy to work. <laughs> so so you, gave me, you gave me my first real job. And I was two hours a day, five days a week from three to five, cleaning the movie theater on Monday through Friday. And it was probably one of the best high school jobs a young guy could have ever had. So well, thank the you. The
1: benefits were good.
0: The benefits the, uh, were good. Yeah.
1: Unfortunately the pay was not high there, but the, uh, you know, I mean, you get free snacks, free yes. movies. Yeah. And you could always bring
0: a friend of the movies with you too. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a nice deal. Hey, soda, popcorn, a movie. And, you know, you were royalty walking through the place. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I remember
1: uh, by the time you got done there, you know how to run the projectors.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. You, you, you eventually moved me up. I believe I was kind of assistant manager. I was counting some money on nights you weren't there and setting up film. I was talking to somebody just the other day about splicing films and the, the canisters showing up and having to take the reels and putting them together. And this is going to be a story. Because you and I are film editors,
1: I guess we are in that respect.
0: We edited a Steven Seagal movie together. Do you remember?
1: <laughs> the opening scene got to- got butchered. It did. Got-, got eaten by the sprockets, I guess, on the on the projector, and yeah. it opened with a still frame of Steven Seagal <laughs> with his. This strange pose, like he's ready to take on a <laughs> six or eight guy.
0: It was just Seagal, just out of nowhere, you know. <laughs> just like I Here had he totally is. forgotten that there I was had, no I context.
1: Had no, <laughs> I had forgotten about that, and yeah, we we had to cut out that entire opening scene to yeah. that film because it just it wasn't there any longer on the film. You know, I you mean, have to if,
0: wonder ooh, how many people rented that movie. You know, nine months later, and they got home on VHS and. They had a whole new scene, you know?
1: <laughs> they probably figured they had the director's cut. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's what it would have been.
0: <laughs> we, we definitely gave them the edited version. Well, Jim, working at the movie theater, there, I would come in from time to time, and I'd catch you. You'd come into work, you had to do something, and you decided you were going to go sit up on a ladder, and you are going to pull out your acoustic guitar. And I'm going to guess now, as a guy who's played guitar for the past 30 years— that that's because it sounded really good sitting up there doing that, the, the sound. It was a good place to do it. Yeah. Uh, the,
1: acoust- the acoustics were good. There wasn't a lot of echo. You know, I mean, uh, it was a, it's a movie theater. So obviously it had a lot of sound insulation. And it felt kind of cool to sit on top of a stepladder yeah, and, yeah. and play a few tunes. You know? yeah. Besides, I had downtime, you know, when I was there quite frequently, you know. Mm-hmm. And there were days when the weather sucked. So I'd go in there, you know, maybe in, uh, just watch a movie and drink some beer. And, Why not? You know, yeah. Do whatever. But Absolutely. yeah, I used, I used to play in the, uh, in the theater. It was fun. It was a good place. And good. there was nobody there to bother me. The, you nobody know, the else. funny thing
0: about the theater is it had that solitude. I recorded my very first cassette tape ever on a boom box in one of the, project- the projection booths, like overnight <laughs> or something like that. I don't know if I ever told you. I probably snuck in or something and did that. But the first tape I ever recorded. Don't I, remember it. I yeah. don't I don't recall that. Oh. Yep. So I went in and I, I used the projection booths because they were so sound isolated, you know, because they were loud. So the rooms had to be, you know, muff, very muffled. And, yep. uh, and yeah, so that's where I did that. Um, you gave me one of my first guitars, which was Novation, which was a classic to you. And also the beloved Copper Pick at the time which unfortunately I lost over the years. But uh yeah, that was, you know, a, a great experience. I used to go out to your place and we'd sit around and we'd play tunes and everything. But I'm going to come back to that and talk about what I, we did before, you know, I parted, you know, and left Newport and moved on. And I'm going to ask you some questions that I probably never asked you when I was a kid. Like when did you start playing guitar? Not long after the Beatles landed at JFK, uh,
1: that would have been 64. Mm-hmm. So it was probably 65 when I got my first guitar. Okay. I have a friend named Don Goldthwaite. He and I learned the Beatles catalog pretty much together. Mm-hmm. Hang out in his bedroom. We got the book there. We're learning the chords. Once in a while, we'd skip over a song that we didn't particularly care for, like Honey Don't or something (laughs) like that. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we learned together. So that's how we got going. I ran into him later in life, and he was in some pretty interesting bands, Mm -hmm. uh, local bands. Uh, He's now a professor, a retired professor from uh, Emerson College in Boston. Wow. If it's not Emerson, it's Northeastern University, one or two of them.
0: Somewhere there. So, so you started playing around that time. I only ever knew you as an acoustic player. Did you ever play an electric guitar? Yep.
1: In those days, I
0: had an electric. Uh, yep. It was a so- solid body. Mm-hmm. It was a
1: no-name instrument. It looked kind of like a Fender. It kind of looked like a Telecaster. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had a hollow body that looked like an ES-335 Gibson. Nice. But it was made by Univox, uh-huh. uh, I th- I think it was Univox. You could probably find one online and had a gorgeous uh, finish on it. It was like a sunburst finish. It was really my pride and joy. And uh, I bought that. I paid $5 a week for that.
0: uh, That's great. That's great.
1: Most of my playing electric was in my teens. Mm hmm. You're right, though. I did play primarily acoustic. I still have an electric. It still looks like an ES-335, and it isn't. <laughs> it's a washburn, actually. But uh, I don't have anything to play it through. I do did, have an Did
0: you ever it. play in a, in a band with an electric when you were in your teens? Uh, well, it was one summer, 1981,
1: actually. Mm-hmm. I was in a band that had 17 pieces. Six of those pieces were female voices. So Wow. We had a backup choir, basically, and we were mm-hmm. doing Motown tunes. We called ourselves 67. And people would ask me, why do you call the band 67? And I would jokingly say, well, that's how many of us there are. <laughs> when we walked into the room, it looked like there was 67 people coming in. But uh, I played an electric in that one. And I also played an acoustic, that ovation that mm-hmm. you spoke of. Yep. And I had a Dean Markley pickup in that that I used. Mm-hmm for amplification. But uh and that that's really the last time I played electric anywhere. And the one that I had that was electric was a uh was a Gibson Les Paul. Mhm. Was wow. had a nice cherry finish yeah, on it nice you know? Yeah, yeah. And I was single. I wasn't really responsible with my money <laughs> and uh I ended up selling it.
0: As you do. I, I've had some great gear in my life. Jim, I, I had an Ampeg B15N flip top 1966 bass amp at one point. And anybody who listens to this show probably thinks I'm ridiculous that I don't still have it, but that's how life works. I had an
1: Ampeg amp as well, and I thought the world of it. Yeah. I used to I used to put that thing facing out my bedroom window, and I would just play. <laughs> and <laughs> the neighbors got to hear me whether they wanted okay. to or not. I, I thought I was really cool then, you know, here I am playing Last Train to Clarksville or something by the monkeys, you know, but uh, yeah, it was an Ampec. And it was, I actually used to get radio signals through that. Really? It picked up the airwaves. See, I could see WKXL's tower from my house. And when I wasn't playing anything on on this, on this amp, all of a sudden, it would start playing music from (laughs) WKSF, so. Well, can I ask you,
0: can I ask you about the band you used to tell me about when when I was hanging with you back in the day, called The Crew.
1: The Crew. The name The Crew came about in the late 60s when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. uh, With some friends, we referred to ourselves as The Crew. Uh, these were not the same people who were in the band, the crew, but I liked that name, you know, considering the crew. We started in 1981 and Mm -hmm. it was, it was an offshoot of this 17 piece band. Several of the horn players were high school students. Mm -hmm. Uh, One had just finished high school and was heading for the U.S. military academy at West Point. That's where he was next going to go to school. And his younger brother played trombone, and there was a third musician who was a trumpet player. These guys were ten years younger than me, mm-hmm. and uh, we became friends. I had I had my own apartment. I was newly divorced and looking mm-hmm. for different friends, I guess. And these guys were good friends. They'd come over, and they knew that I could buy beer. You know. Yeah. <laughs> They'd bring their friends with them. We all got to be friends. There yep. were eight of us total. We never played all eight of us together on any tracks because well, we just didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it'd be three of us. Sometimes it'd be five of us. I would take out that ovation
0: mm-hmm. and
1: start playing a riff. Just playing a riff. Riffs are so easy to come up with. <laughs> record riffs. You know. You can do them all day long. Yeah. And uh, we just hit record on the cassette player we would have a 90 minute max tape in there and we would record 45 minutes of music in a session all spontaneous uh i might start with the lyrics but someone else might start with the lyrics yeah uh the other instrumentation in our early years was bottles a <laughs> kazoo nice uh bottle caps uh General uh, mayhem things, you know. You know, it, the it's...
0: funny thing is, this sounds like a band that would have fit right in in Burlington, Vermont. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Well, maybe. Who knows? But everything we did, with the exception of maybe one or two songs over the seven years that we were together, was spontaneous. Mm-hmm. I wrote one or two songs, and we recorded those, and you know, they didn't sound anywhere near as good as our usual stuff, which was, let's just kick ass and we'll sing about the next subject, you know? <laughs> Uh,
0: so it was a real improv band, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it,
1: definitely improv. It was, I mean,
0: yeah. it, it is funny because you know, people talk about jam bands, but I don't know, there's something about it that I think is more artistic than even that. Because a lot of what you hear with jam bands, and, and I know you've been a fan of the dead, and Dylan, and I don't know if you know about Fish, you and I didn't know each other when they came about and got big. Well, I didn't. Uh, I, I didn't listen
1: to Fish all that much, you know. Yeah. When they started jumping straight up and down, and you know, they they look like cylinders in an automobile. Or whatever.
0: <laughs> I I had a love hate relationship with Fish because I didn't mind their music, but when I was in Cinderblock Baby in 1995, 1996, people would come to our shows and yell at us to play Fish songs. And I would yell back at the audience, well, you know, you go to Fish to See Fish. Why can't you come watch us to see us play? We're a Vermont band too. What I did see over in Burlington was a lot of that kind of cool experimental music. And, you know, you talk about bottle caps and bottles and playing different things and kazoos. That stuff's fun. You know, it is. The zanier it it gets sometimes, it's very Zappa.
1: We hijacked my mom's house one time. She was away on vacation. Mm -hmm. And she had a a Lowry organ in her living room. So so we all of a sudden had keyboards and nobody knows how to play. Well, there was one guy who could play keys, but he wasn't with us in that particular (laughs) setting. Of course not. (laughs) He ended up learning how to play the guitar very well. This is Mike Morris. Mm -hmm. You can find him on YouTube, actually. He's been a longtime friend. He actually played a song for us when Martha and I got married at our wedding. wow. And he'd only been playing guitar for about two years at that point in time. And he just zoomed right by me, just went right on past me. Uh, great guitar player. So when we got together and he was there, we, we had two guitars playing. And he also played trumpet. And yeah. he also could play keyboards incredibly well. Had a lot of talent. Had a lot of talent. And uh, he really became, when, when he was playing with us, he was the leader. He really was the leader. And okay. I, I deferred to him. You know, I said, geez bro, crow, as long as we've got this kind of talent, let's do it. He's doing
0: it. We became kind of bluesy at that point. Uh-huh. Did you of- did you ever tell me about a time you played a blues brothers set list somewhere once though? we did
1: it was a it was a one-off deal we did it for a weekend actually i just thought Uh,
0: that was so cool yeah
1: we we did that at concord high school Mm -hmm. there were 11 or 12 of us in that particular band we had a horn section we had three guitar players of which i was one and the guy that i was just describing to you actually was jake elwood uh was jake jake blues jake
0: blues yeah yeah.
1: Jake, John Belushi's character. Yes. Uh, he, he was John Belushi's character uh-huh. on stage for this particular uh, endeavor. He, he invited me to, you want to do this? I said, <laughs> you know me, I'm, I'm like Jim Bowen's wife. I'm an introvert. <laughs> <laughs> I played on another setting with him. We played out in, in a bar on uh, New Year's Eve. And it, I don't, don't ask me exactly what year, 86, 87, something like that. And it was just the two of us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, he knew what he was doing because he said, let's do this song. And I said, I don't know that song. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll follow along with you, You know, perhaps. We had fun. We had fun. But I, I always had stage fright. It was one of the things that really bothered mm-hmm. me. when I played in a 13-piece band or 16-piece or whatever. I had a lot of other people.
0: It it took me a lot of years myself, you you know, as much as I was the confident young guy, you knew in Newport that wanted to be an actor and I'd get up on stage, do the musicals and things like that. When it came to playing music and playing an instrument, for some reason I would be more stage shy having to play. It's, it's, I don't know. It's odd. It's two different
1: things. I'm not sure why I could play in front of my crewmates. Perhaps that was, uh, you know, I guess because we were buddies and we were all having a yeah, good time. Yeah, you're playing you know? in
0: front of your friends. And we we're in my yeah. living room, you know. Yeah. Yep.
1: So it was it was different, and we we had a few different locations. And the neighbors always did manage to find a way to complain.
0: You're a little loud up there, you know. Uh. <laughs> As they do. And the police show up a few times. I mean, we
1: were just yeah. playing music. That's all. That's
0: all. <laughs> well, Jim, I'll bring it around to you know. There are some some things that I know you'll, you know, uh, probably have some humble reaction to, but I I already mentioned one thing to you in a message I sent off to you. And I think anybody who goes out there and the Beatles become a seminal part of their music experience, their growth, they discover the Beatles, you know, to me for many years, the Beatles early stuff were like, it was like kids music that I want to hold your hand and she loves you. And you know they are just really they're cool tunes you know they're all great songs and everything but you were the first guy that pulled out the revolver album and said no you need to listen to this song and it was tomorrow never knows and it changed my entire perception and experience of listening to the beatles
1: that was about the last track they recorded prior to um the sergeant pepper sessions Mm -hmm. after that the first thing you heard was strawberry fields forever and penny lane they were released prior to the sergeant pepper release they
0: they were recorded. i've been to both those places now
1: oh have you well i'm envious (laughs) i am envious of you there but yeah tomorrow never knows hell of a song really you know and it did not receive am airplay back in its day Mm -hmm. uh what else was on that record? Tracks I think
0: that I think I think the thing that About Tomorrow Never Knows though that the reason why it transitions Beatles fans is you know you do have some songs you know Eleanor Rigby and I think other than the poppier songs off the later albums I never really gave those albums a chance because I thought they were weird. And Tomorrow Never Knows was that song that kicked the door open to allow me to listen to the weird stuff. And realized there was a lot of really cool things written in there. And you, you know, you were the first one to be like, well, you know, that's a backwards guitar solo sound playing over and stuff like that. And, you know, when you're a young guy learning about music, that's that's a big deal. And you said, you, you said to me that, you know, like, it's only because you, you're older than me and you heard it first. But the cool thing for you is this, there's no generation behind you the Beatles with your generation and then projecting forward onto the generation ahead and ahead, all that has just built up from there. And so I think it's cool, you know, it it puts me right back at like second tier generation of getting Beatles knowledge experience handed down. So it's cool. You know, I'm always going to be very happy about that. Uh, Other other bands, MC5. Come on.
1: MC5 uh, from Flint, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh or Detroit, if you will. Matter of fact, I was just talking to someone from Flint the other day. He's a border patrol person in, in this area who's recently retired. And uh he, he remembered them. Yeah, they were pretty wild, uh the MC five. They were definitely punk before punk
0: was laid. They were, was, yeah. Almost you know, almost like a hard rock band. But they like, were hard yeah. rock. They
1: were, they were from the same town that uh Grand Funk Railroad came from. Okay. And Grand Funk was not a mainline uh, rock and roll band either. They were a trio. They were hard rock, and uh, some people liked them, some people did not. The mm-hmm. MC5 didn't get a lot of exposure. They didn't have songs that were played on the radio in the 1968, 69 era. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, uh, they they kind of pewed it out before the FM. Radio
0: stations started I think to take the, off. For me, the legend of MC5, and I don't know if you ever got a chance to see them or not, the legend of them to me is the fact that their first debut album is a live album. How many bands out there can have, a, you know, even as successful as theirs was, even if it wasn't a chart topper, you know, that much success and have that much influence because they had such a reputation for being such a good live band? They had a live album made first and that got put out there. <laughs> It you is know, interesting, and yeah. I'm not
1: sure who, who would have a similar beginning uh, as that. I'm not sure if I could name you anyone that yeah. uh, came up with a live album for openers. I know Peter Frampton had an early on live album, but and, and it sold millions. Millions, uh, yeah. But it uh, wasn't... His, the music on, on that particular album uh, kind of came and went. Its time mm-hmm. passed mm-hmm. pretty rapidly. Whereas the MC5, uh, you know, people still groove to that sort of stuff, you know.
0: So can I ask you a funny question? I remember, yeah. you know, being, being you know, 18, 19 years old, coming over, hanging out and exchanging music back and forth. And, you know, you learning about all the Beatles and MC5. And uh, that whenever I sing the song... East of burden by the rolling stones. I'm supposed to sing. Don't ever leave your pizza burning. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, that stayed with me this whole time. However, when, when I would come to your place, I remember when I went away to Roger Williams and I came back and I was like, you know, I'm a man now, you know, I've, I've been places I've seen shit, you know, and I'm going to play you my songs. And I remember trying to put my stuff on and you were just like, I do not want to hear this, <laughs> you know, like I'm going to go get, go get my albums, you know, and, but I've noticed that over the years, you've seemed to had a more of a liking to some of that early nineties rock stuff that came out.
1: Well, I guess I could sit down and listen to some Nirvana or I could listen yeah. to, uh, Metallica, you know, mm-hmm. these are sort of guys that you were pretty much in tune to yeah. I remember from the eighties. Uh, the girls at the movie theater were into The Cure, they were into, uh, let me see, who you else?
0: Know, I'll stop you right here, Jim, because I'll say this, one of the cool things about the movie theater as well, is those girls at the movie theater were the other half of this musical education that I had. You, yeah, were, one, yeah. you, were, you were one part of it, but you're right. I The first time I heard Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon in its entirety, somebody had left on a cassette tape there. Uh, you know, I, I would go in to clean the movie theater and I didn't bring music with me, but the, the boom box was there on the shelf and the few tapes would get left behind and I would just put stuff on. And so you had The Cure, you had the Violent Femmes, they love the Femmes. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, but that, I mean, you have to remember, Jim, when you knew me, I was still wearing parachute pants and trying to dance around like Bobby Brown. You saw this side of me change go from being this guy who should have been a new kid on the block when you, when I first walked in the door to being, you know, possibly admitted into rehab. I don't know. You know at the end of it, no, <laughs> I went away to college and came back. Like I said, you know, a, a wiser man, but I don't know that, that experience of working at the cinema and that those songs that those girl's had, you know, the, the music there definitely wasn't that other half of me not being a pop guy my whole life. <laughs>
1: oh yeah, I guess so. You know, uh, the Smiths were another band. Nah, that they were that's into.
0: it. Yep.
1: They were definitely into the Smiths. Um, you did say the Violent Femmes, but there was another band that was kind of like them, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yes. Yep. They were kind of popular in those times as well. Not that they've ever been real popular with me, but <laughs> you know, I mean, I listened to their music as well. Yeah, of course, because yeah, it yeah, was yeah. on, you know, mm-hmm. I go to work and they're playing their tunes. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got a lot of mileage out of that
0: stuff. It was fun. It was, it fun. was fun. We have so much in common. We're, we're both gym. Oh,
1: well, this is true.
0: Yep. We both wound up in, well, you know, Orleans County. We both ended up in Newport, Vermont. Yep, yeah, we did. We did. We were born in the same hospital. Uh, we were born in the same town. The hospital I was oh, born in. Oh, that's true. That's true. The, I was in the new hospital.
1: Preceded yours. Yes, uh, they yes. built a new one uh, just for you, I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Concord, but New Hampshire. We were, yeah, we were born in Concord. Yes, we uh, were. And yeah, we didn't
1: know each other there. That, no, that's. Yeah.
0: You had a better chance, probably, of having bought your first suit off my dad at Sears. Uh, you know, back in those days.
1: It's very possible. Yeah, I, um, I know one place where you used to live, which was um, in Boscoin. Mm-hmm. It used to be a Howard Johnson's restaurant.
0: Turnpike Terrace.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I had eaten in that restaurant before.
0: I had I think did. that very building, the first one that's there, was the one that I lived in first. Yeah. So yeah. So it was a Howard Johnson's restaurant. Anyway, yeah. Well, so we okay. do have some
1: common ground. No we, doubt about we, that. We
0: we both have wives who are nurses. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I, the the parallels. And you know we've both taken moments in our life where we've said, "Hey, let's take a giant leap of faith and go try something new." And that's what you did when you wound up in Vermont, and that's yep. what I did coming here to Scotland. I, I would say your leap was a little bit longer than mine. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, <laughs> it, was a, it was a big, big leap. But uh, when you're when
1: you're with the right person, and you feel I'll go anywhere for you, that type of thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, That's that's really cool. And from everything I've learned about you in the years that you've been in Scotland, you've been a happy man.
0: Yeah, I've enjoyed it here. It's been good. It's been good. There's nothing really negative I can say about living in Scotland other than the weather. But you know that about Britain before you come here. (laughs) So, no, Jim, you know, thanks for coming on the show. It's my opportunity to say thank you for having that early impact on my life. Think back to those times when we would sit in your living room and we would throw on a cassette tape and we would just pick up our guitars and you were talking about just jamming on three chords and we would make up songs, uh, you know, and then the bells go off. The Jim's well, Jim Jim's, Jim's it is house, now. yeah, it's full of bells. But it was, it, you know, it it's an experience like no other. And also for giving me that first job, you know, in Newport, Vermont all of the pretty girls worked at the movie theater when I was in high school. And I used to go to the movie theater just to see the pretty girls that worked there. And then one day I became the first guy in town to actually have a shirt and tie on working side by side with all of them. And there weren't, there weren't any others. uh, Once (laughs) in a while, Bill Prue did, but you were, you, you preceded
1: him in that respect.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, How about that? You did not ask me one question that I thought you might ask.
0: Okay, well, what is it?
1: Well, like, what were the early tunes that really turned my head? Okay, I want to hear this. Okay, Mm -hmm. well, Pretty Woman uh, by Roy Orbison was one. Yes. Be My Baby, the Ronettes, produced by Phil Spector, was Mm -hmm. another. We're talking 1964 on both of
0: those. Ronnie Spector's voice is um, a, yeah, Yeah, House of the Rising Sun,
1: the uh, animals version Mm -hmm. with uh, Eric Burden out front. The animals were incredible. They really were. In those days, it wasn't uh, the Rolling Stones who were number two to the Beatles. It was the Dave Clark Five. Okay. Uh, They were selling records just like the Beatles were. The Beatles were obviously the top dog. Mm-hmm. But uh, Dave Clark Five in 1964 was considered the second best
0: band around. Dave Clark Five, they're British, aren't they? Oh, yeah. All yeah. the good bands are British. Yeah. <laughs> all,
1: all the good bands in those days seemed to be British. They really did. But uh, the DC Five, definitely. The Stones, the Kinks. Gee whiz. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How can you? <laughs> and they got banned from performing in, in the USA for almost five full years at the height of their career. Yep. From 1966 to 72, they did not play here. They, Why were they, they just, banned. I guess they had been too rowdy or something like that. Oh, I, that's the exact funny. reason isn't,
0: isn't in print, so
1: I don't know what it is. But and who knows me, what
0: Led just, Zeppelin was getting away with while they were flying around the country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And The
1: Kinks ended up being one of the best shows I ever saw. You know, the
0: Kinks, the Kinks were one of those albums that you played over and over again when I would come over and visit or not an album, but, you know, different albums of theirs. There was always something you would play. And I definitely carried the Kinks down the road with me. And actually, I'm going to bring up one more band because I told my wife that, you know, if I die before her or if I'm actually lying in a coma and you need to wake me up, that is the song Tunnel of Love by Dire Straits and the guitar solo at the end of it. That's
1: one extremely great piece of music in yes. my book yes that's from the album making movies uh that's mm-hmm. the album i have it on i think it's also i think it also appears on love over gold but i could be wrong about that but it was making movies it's a 1980 release mm-hmm. and romeo and juliet was on that lp as yeah. well and that and tunnel of love are two songs that just really got to me in the summer of 1981 I could just listen to those all day long while I'm reading anything. You know, sitting by my poolside at my mom' <laughs> house—very uh, nice experience. But Tom, all love, yeah. I never got to see Dire Straits as I know you did.
0: I was fortunate enough to get the chance to see them, and I got to see them play both those songs. How about so, that? Yeah, Not it was bad. it was amazing. It was amazing. Mark, Mark um,
1: Knopfler for president, except he's British, so <laughs> it can't happen here.
0: He's Scottish, actually. Uh, and I do know that yeah. his
1: date of birth is August 12th, 1949. Okay. You can yeah. look that up. I Don't will. How I know <laughs>
0: that. But, uh... <laughs> little known facts.
1: It, it is a little known fact. Well, actually, I have a brother who was born on that exact same day. Maybe that's why that's that stuck with me. That, you know? that
0: would probably do it. That would do that it.
1: Would yeah.
0: Well, Jim, I'm going to go run and chew gum at the same time. Do you get that reference? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Just so the audience knows, Jim and I used to leave uh, the voice recordings when you would want to come watch a film at the cinema. And there was a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie where... There was a scene with him running down the street and chewing gum. And Jim said in one of the funny messages, which we eventually got banned from making, come see Jean-Claude Van Damme run and chew gum at the same time.
1: We had a lot of fun making those uh, those (laughs) tapes uh, for the answering machine. We would crack ourselves up. We'd make six or eight different ones before (laughs) we could finally come up with one that was Usable for you know for the general public. That's how quickly down under it. come see. Quig- I want to see quickly yeah. down under. <laughs> that was Tom Selleck. Uh, that was yeah, it was Tom Selleck movie. All right, yeah. yeah. Oh, we had fun doing those. Adult, and of course, y-
0: you could do buckwheat. I could not. <laughs> it's it's could been a while. Ready? I haven't. <laughs> it's been a while since I've done buckwheat, so I wouldn't be able to do it now. Oh. But but it's one that I recall.
1: Mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy's Buckley. Very good.
0: <laughs> All right, Jim, I'm going to call it a show now, but I'm glad you interjected and we added that stuff on to the end. I know that you're uh, going to have a lovely Vermont evening there in the autumn. Listening to the starting to see some uh, fall foliage. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. It's not, it's not there yet, but if you were to talk to me next week, it might be. It it's might coming be. on pretty good. good. The weather's nice too. It's uh, Right now, it's probably close to 70 degrees Fahrenheit, nice. you know? Yeah. And uh, the, the sun is coming out. We had rain this morning, but mm-hmm. we needed rain. It's been dry. <laughs> here. What can I tell you?
0: Well, let me do, I'm going to do my sign off and then hang there and I'll come back and I'll chat with you in two seconds. Okay. All right. Hey, everybody, thank you for listening. So, I used to be in a band. It's been incredible to have a conversation with Jim Wentworth this uh, evening, afternoon for him as we reminisce about the times we had, uh, you know, I had learning about music and, and that whole journey and trip, and then, you know, learning about Jim's history and playing music. Fantastic, and I'm glad to know it. So, until next time, hope to see you here again. Bye now. Would you like to sit in time?